orange, a sea of orange as far as the eye can see. Before the curtain rises on the struggle that will unfold, you and your forces worked diligently to settle the forest and make good use of its bountiful natural resources. The birds of the woodland may be dismayed at how much lumber you've harvested, but they've had their time in the sun. From high atop your keep, the future looks bright for feline kind. However, you're acutely aware that in the woodlands, the higher you climb, the farther you fall. You are the Marquise de Cat. Welcome to Woodland War Room, a root strategy podcast. This episode was meant to be the first of the series, but my Riverfolk fanboyism kicked in and they cut in line. However, most games of root begin with the Marquise, literally. She's the first to set up, and many players' house rules dictate that she takes the first turn. She's the first to have a significant presence on the board, and the first to land square in the sights of every other player. The Marquise begins the game with a presence in every clearing on the map, but one, which seems like a big advantage. However, this also means that she's overextended, meaning her apparent power is actually a liability. The Marquise looks like she's winning from the first turn, which is hardly ever the case. However, the psychological effect of so many soldiers on the board can cause other players to target her, but then to complain when she doesn't stop other players from becoming threats. It's a difficult role to fill which results in the Marquise having one of the lowest statistical win rates in the game. However, if you play smart, you'll end up on top. The Marquise can combat her bad PR by acting as the historian of the woodland. Remember the last game when the Alliance ran away with a win because we couldn't keep their sympathy in check? I could have helped there. Remember when the Vagabond ran amok completing quests because we couldn't break his equipment? Give me a couple turns and I'll take him down a peg. You can solve those problems, and more. You hold the key to a fun and balanced game for all the players. If everyone else wants that game, all they need to do is trust you a little and give you some space to build your economic engine. Build alliances strategically throughout the game, but also don't be afraid to villainize factions that have strong late game momentum. It's dirty work, but nobody said being the boss was easy. An ideal opening turn expands your options and builds momentum that can carry through the rest of the game. I typically always want to build a second sawmill, overwork to generate some extra lumber, and then build a recruitment station. You're fine not recruiting on the first turn because you have a strong military presence elsewhere on the board and players will be too busy building their board states to meaningfully attack yours. But having two sawmills on the second turn dramatically expands your options for the rest of the game and increases your building potential. And building is the best way to score points in a burst late in the game. Choosing what to build each turn as the Marquise requires skill and strong knowledge of the board state, as well as a little bit of planning. I favor recruiters early on in the game so I can build a formidable front of Marquise soldiers to protect my building projects back at home. Also, this helps accelerate your card draw, which is always a plus. Workshops are worth the most points out of any building and can further help the Marquise to craft. 
though crafting's not her strongest suit, it's a way to score a few extra points needed to close out a game. Typically, I build workshops only in rabbit clearings, as the best crafting opportunities for the Marquis only need that suit. Specifically, both investments in bake sale, which craft a coin, are both worth three points. Command Warren, Better Bureau Bank, and Cobbler give you free actions so you don't need to spend your precious daylight hours on logistical concerns. All of these cards only use rabbit crafting as their cost, so focus on it. Sawmills are important, but players tend to build too many in my opinion. I find three to be a fine number, as you likely will not be erecting more than one building per turn. Though your working hours are limited, there are ways to push your subjects to work a bit harder for the cause. You can use an action and spend a card to generate some extra lumber, which can help you get a building out when other players think you might not be capable of doing so. Cards in hand aren't nearly as precious to the Marquis as they are to other factions, so don't be afraid to turn them into some extra lumber. Just avoid spending bird cards, ambushes, or the aforementioned rabbit crafting cards for this purpose. Those are too valuable. Feel free to spend dominance cards, as those can easily be reclaimed if you need them at some point in the game. You can also gain more time to work by spending bird cards out of hand. Each bird card gives you one additional standard action. This is always an important option to have, so I suggest try and keep one bird card in hand at all times. Try not to spend a bird ambush card for this purpose, but most other bird cards are fine to discard. If you're planning to battle, try not to do so on your last action, as you won't be able to recover or make strategic choices if the dice rolls didn't go as planned or if an ambush is sprung. In lieu of recruiting, you can recover soldiers that you've lost in battle by using the Field Hospital ability. This lets you save every soldier that was lost in combat by spending a card of the matching suit. Don't be afraid to do this either, but typically only if you lose two or more soldiers. The other factions in the woodland may fear your largesse, however, they can be useful allies, or scapegoats. Here's how. The Eyrie is typically your mortal enemy, oil to your water. They view your empire as stolen land and have little interest in helping you solidify your rule. You'll often be fighting over the very limited building real estate on the board, but don't worry if they destroy your buildings. Place workshops in spaces where they need to expand and let them be destroyed. You'll gain many points for rebuilding these over the course of the game. You're also in a prime spot to cause the Eerie to go into turmoil by placing a building in a clearing where a roost must be built. Try to cause turmoil before the Eerie's turns become oppressive, maybe around five turns in. It'll vary from game to game. The Woodland Alliance is not happy about your rule and would rather see the keep burn. Though they benefit from most attempts to suppress them, that doesn't mean you should let their sympathy spread unchecked. Take out sympathy tokens when you can, and try to group at least three warriors in clearings to make it costly for support to spread across the board. Remember, sympathy can only spread to adjacent clearings, so try to isolate it and surround it with warriors to make this costly. You should typically try to take out at least one sympathy token per turn, if able. Try to enlist other players to help you in this, however. 
You are not the police of the woodland, as much as other players would prefer to shirk their responsibilities. The Marquise alone cannot prevent an alliance victory. The Marquise has an uneasy relationship with the Vagabond. You'll need this wanderer to clear the ruins from the map so you have room to expand your empire, but don't leave him on too long a leash. Wait for the opportune moment mid-game, then strike. Break as much of his equipment as possible. You don't benefit much from his aid, certainly less than he benefits from aiding you, so don't fear growing hostilities between the two of you. The River Folk makes a strong ally for the Marquis. You're typically the richest of the factions and rule the most clearings. This means the River Folk can spend your warriors to build trade posts near you. River Folk mercenaries are extremely valuable to the Marquis as they can help you create a safe path for lumber to travel to new building sites. In addition, they can be deployed to battle the Erie or Alliance at critical points in the game when your soldiers can't make it to the location. Beware the possibility of the River Folk holding your soldiers hostage, however. Try to avoid leaving more than four of them on the board at any one time. If you listen to my River Folk podcast, you know this is a strategy I often employ. The Lizard Cult is a frustrating foe, because most attempts to thwart them in battle only increase their power overall. Furthermore, their zealot followers are prone to defiling your pristine buildings and turning them into so-called places of worship. Try to drive these gardens out whenever possible to limit the cult's power and scoring potential on their next turn. Don't worry too much about generating martyrs for the cult's cause. That's just an unavoidable eventuality of trying to keep any cult in check. We don't yet have enough intelligence on the Corvids or the Underground Duchy yet to provide full strategies, but we have some idea of their capabilities. The Corvids are no match for your might and flexibility, as you can interrupt their plots that can take time to hatch. The Duchy likes to keep itself in a corner far away from your keep, so you may have to make the trip and show your might before the balance of power shifts under your feet. I'll provide fuller strategies when those factions officially release. Well. You have your marching orders. I hope you are taking notes. Follow these strategies to keep your subjects in check while you solidify your fierce grasp on the woodlands. The future is bright under your rule. You just need to do a little convincing to make the other factions see it that way. This has been Episode 3 of Woodland War Room. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your royal subjects. This episode has been written and produced by me, Tony Sarkis. If you'd like to participate in a future episode, contact me using the information in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time.